Good morning, church family. Please stand for the reading of uh, God's word. We're, today we're in Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let his wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Amy. If you have a Bible or ESV journal and you want to grab that or your phone and open it up to Ephesians chapter 5, we'll walk through uh, the verses we just read in just a few minutes. And, and as we do that, I want to encourage you, if there are particular things going on in your life um, or steps or moves that God's leading you towards, maybe you've put your faith and trust in Jesus in the last weeks or months and, and you need to follow him in baptism after you put your faith in him, or you want to serve in some, comp- some way or uh, visit or join or, or check out some home groups, this Connect card uh, is a great avenue for you to let us know, hey, these things are happening. Help guide me through that, pastors, and we'd love to do so. Also, on the backs of prayer card, there's ways we can be praying for you. Uh, please let us know with this card right here, and you can drop it in the black box. You can bring it directly to myself or Pastor Brandon, or you can do it digitally with the little QR codes that are on its corresponding side. And so take a few moments, if you can, during the gathering and, and move forward in, in whatever steps the Lord may have for you. Uh, maybe throughout the sermon, there's some aspects or things that the Holy Spirit brings to mind uh, in you that you uh, say, hey, I, I want my pastors to pray for me in this. And you write those things down. We'd love to tomorrow as we gather as as your pastors to to pray over and with you in that. Um, So um, marriage affects everyone. It does. Whether you're a child, whether you're single, whether you're a young married, a middle-aged married, an empty nester, whether you're divorced or widowed, uh, across the board, marriage has and continues to impact your life. It's a very important aspect of life, and, uh, and it should be that way. It's designed to be that way. And for Christians, uh, it's a significant impact in your life and also opportunity in your life. One of the things that I pretty regularly think about is this idea that uh, Christians should make the best fill-in-the-blanks in the world. So you think about it, like uh, God created the world to function in a particular way, Sin comes in and destroys and wrecks and wreaks havoc. And Christ has come to restore and by the power of the Holy Spirit recreate us in the image of Jesus, making right what sin has made wrong. And so Christians should make the best of friends as we love one another as friends like Jesus is our friend and sacrificially said he laid down his life for us as his friend. In the same form and fashion, Christians 
should make the best husbands and wives. We should make, we should be, as the Holy Spirit is transforming us more into the image of Jesus, we should reflect the perfect husband, Jesus. Yeah, he was never married to a, a woman, but he is, as we'll look at, the husband of the church, his people. And he is the example. As we learn, then as the church, to live as his bride, we should make the best wives in, for the world to see. I want to encourage you as we move forward in this, if you're single here today, so glad you're here. Uh, we don't avoid parts of Scripture as we get there. Uh, and, and I want to encourage you, this week is not a week for you if you are single to check out. And be like, oh, not married, not for me. Uh, it's not a week for you to check out. It's also uh, not a week for you to um, just go, oh, this is for me in the future someday. No, that's not what this is. Uh, as we dive into and look at what biblical marriage should be, it's not a, oh, well, this is what God might have for in, store, in store for me in the future, in my life, moment. But that God, if you're single in here today, uh, this moment as we look into biblical marriage is a moment and opportunity for you to see the love that Jesus has for you. Married or not. Single or married for a year or 50. Every time we look into the Bible and see God's design and instructions around marriage, it's an opportunity for us to, with clear eyes, see Jesus' love for you, His bride. And to respond as His bride in submission to Him as your Savior, as your Lord. And so I encourage you, if you are single this morning, as we walk through this, my hope and prayer for you, and if you are married, is that this would be a morning not just where we reflect on our marriages, but we also see Jesus more clearly as our good, faithful husband, where we see our role to him as his wife, uh, as the church, in submission to him. And so, uh, so we're going to dive into this, but we're going to start specifically with uh, this concept and understanding of what is submission and what is authority. What is submission and what is authority? And so uh, you may be aware, as we read just now, we read verse 21. Uh, and you might be like, well, if I look at my ESV journal here, 21's in the previous paragraph. What are you doing here, Pastor Derek? Um, well, uh, it's pretty clear uh, that um, verse 21 belongs with verses 22 down through most of the rest of chapter 5. Um, as we begin to look at what, it, what these uh, social structures in the world look like, and how they have this concept of authority and submission intertwined in them. So we'll start there in verse 21, and just to kind of help you, maybe this is helpful, uh, when Paul wrote this letter, it didn't have verses and subheadings, it didn't have chapter 5, verse 21 written in there, it didn't have um, husbands and wives in there, uh, those are added to help us process and read through and study and, and understand the Bible, uh, and so verse 21 does belong to verse 22. Uh, in the same way that verse 20 belongs to verse 21, as one concise letter written. And so, uh, so let's read verse 21 as we dive into understanding this idea of submission and authority. Verse 21 says this, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That before Paul ever talks about marriage, or before Paul ever talks about the home and parents and kids, or before he talks about the workplace in the context of, uh, of Ephesus, uh, masters and slaves or bosses and employees, before he talks about any of that, 
he starts with this idea of mutual submission. That we are to be submitting to one another. That God has designed in the world roles, functional roles among society. In marriage, in the home, and in the workplace, or in the, the world. He's designed these roles, and these roles have certain roles that carry with them authority, and certain roles that carry with them submission. This is the way the world functions. This is the way that it works. It's the way that God has made it. And, and before we dive into what that specifically looks like in marriage, it's important for us to understand this. Roles don't communicate dignity or value. That when we look throughout the Bible, and when we specifically see this in marriage, or in uh, or will we, we will today, or in the home, or in the workplace, at no point in place does the idea of someone having authority and someone living in submission to or service under that authority communicate someone as more valuable, important, or more dignified than the other. And so as we walk through this, roles gender roles and the roles of a husband and a wife are not markers of dignity or value. They're not, neither role is more significant or important than the other. They're both necessary and essential for human flourishing. They're just different. They're just different. And they're designed to be different so that when they couple together, things function in harmony and flourishing for all. And so when we think about submission, think about the word submission as we look through this, as a humble recognition of the divine ordering of society, or marriage, or family, or work. That submission is a humble recognition of God's divine created ordering of the way things function, of the way marriage is meant to function, of the way that uh, parenting in the home is meant to function, of the way that work is meant to happen and function. And it's time uh, to think of authority as responsibility, not as tyranny. Now we, we uh, I, like I say this pretty frequently, I've never lived in a different era than I currently live. Um, I didn't live 100 years ago, or 500, or 1500, or 2000 years ago. Um, I live now. And so as I look at the world, there's an aspect and a pushback against both this idea of submission and authority in our culture today. There's a, uh, how dare you tell me that I'm supposed to submit to someone else? What right do they have that I would have to live uh, in submission to them? Kind of reaction that people oftentimes feel or think to the idea of submission. And at the same time, in authority, there's a, how dare someone have authority over me? This kickback against authority that's honestly ingrained in American culture. America was started on a pushback against authority. A tyrannical authority, but an authority nonetheless. And so, but we have to be cautious and careful that as we see here, there is clearly outlined in God's design for marriage, not in the first century, but in creation, a role that is in responsibility and a role that is in submission to that authority and responsibility. And neither one is more valuable, neither one has more dignity than the other, but note that both are necessary and essential for human flourishing. In connection to that, these roles are not optional. They're not optional and they don't flip-flop. 
We don't have the right to look at God's Word and go, well, you know, let's let the wife be the head of the marriage and the husband be the submissive part of the marriage. No, that's not how God designed it to work. And these ideas as we walk through marriage are also not a Greco-Roman or a Jewish idea of marriage. That is, Paul walks through marriage, parent-to-child relationship, and the workplace, masters and slaves are bosses and employees. The things that he is teaching and instructing us were not cultural principles in a Greco-Roman or a Jewish house or culture. Specifically, if we look at marriage, in a Greco-Roman world, the wife was not... Um, loved by the husband. She was seen as a manager of the house and the legitimate children of the husband. Well, he then went and did whatever he wanted with whoever else he wanted. And she was only responsible to help keep the house and the legitimate children. There was no uh, mutual submission. There was no uh, uh, sacrificial love or, uh, or submission to And in a Jewish culture, although some of the more pillar components of this may be present, uh, in a Jewish culture, in the Jewish writings, nowhere is there instruction for a husband to love his wife. There is to teach, to instruct, to lead. But not what Paul's saying here. And so we can't look at this and go, okay, these concepts are from the first century. And don't apply to us today. Because they're not from the factory. They're not. This idea of mutual submission would have been a foreign concept to both husbands and wives who read this letter. In the same way that it can and sometimes be a foreign concept to us even today in the 21st century. And so these aren't optional. And so uh, this idea in verse 21 of mutual submission carries over when we talk about marriage today, when we look next week at, which to kind of get you ahead of the schedule, we're flip-flopping um, in our walkthrough. Bosses and employees or masters and slaves, the workplace will be next week, and then we'll talk about the home. And we're doing that specifically because April 30th is family worship, and so our kids will be in here with us. So we're going to talk about the home and parenting and uh, parents and kids' relationship on family worship Sunday, April 30th. And so, so that's the way we're going to walk through them, but this idea of mutual submission carries over into all areas uh, of life, from marriage to family to work. And so uh, the other thing that's really cool that we can hang on to here and just talk about briefly is uh, Paul says that we live in mutual submission to one another out of reverence for Christ. Uh, cueing us into this idea that the specific role that God has given you as husband or wife or as parent or as child or as a boss or employee as we walk through this are, uh, are to be carried out in mutual submission and it's an act of worship. Out of reverence to Christ is, is connotating this idea that for me to function as a God-given um, uh, and according to His way husband or for you as wife if you are a wife, is an act of worship to Jesus. It's it's out of reverence for and worship to Him. All beginning and drawing our attention at the very beginning to Jesus. And so so as we walk through this understanding of marriage, 
having a foundation of what submission and authority looks like or means, that it's not subservient, it's not uh, uh, for someone to be more dignified or value than the other. Um, in the same form, a healthy, gospel-formed, transformed marriage is not dependent upon one party or part of that marriage. That none of us can, in a marriage, say, my marriage would be more healthy if my wife would or if my husband would, dot, dot, dot. That it is a, a, a partnership, a bringing together, a, um, it's not good that man should be alone, let's make for him a helper fit for him. Unity. That it's not dependent upon your spouse, but dependent upon the Holy Spirit working through both the husband and the wife towards the end of them functioning in their particular roles for the glory of God and the flourishing of one another. So in these next few moments as we walk through this, I want to encourage you to not have your eyes on your wife if you're a husband. And if you're a wife, your eyes on your husband. Maybe literally, eyes. The eyes of your heart mind. Thinking about them, but with your eyes focused on you and your role as husband. You and your role as wife. To not have on the front of your mind the failures of your husband to fulfill his role in your marriage, or the failures of your wife and her shortcomings to fulfill her role. But a humble look into our own role and a prayerful disposition for our spouse and theirs. So let's look at this. As we dive in and we look at this, uh, it's clear from the get-go, out of reverence for Christ, turns our gaze towards Jesus. And so we're going to look at this in two particular points, all under one big thing, and it's this. The gospel is the model for marriage. That's the, the main point of this morning. The gospel is the model for marriage. The gospel is the model for marriage. And we're going to start where Paul starts, with the wives, and then we're going to move on to the husbands. And if you notice, there's quite a disproportionate amount of content and instruction uh, for the husbands and, and the wives, and that's not because one's more important than the other. Uh, it's because um, one has a whole lot more responsibility before God in his eyes, in his particular role, and that's husband. But we'll look at this. So let's start with wives. It starts with this. Wives, submit to your husbands. So as we look at wives, we're going to dive into this. It says this in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. I want to make clear some things in here. It doesn't say women submit to men. It doesn't say that. The word for wife here and the word for husband is not the word woman and the word man. It's specifically wives, wife, submit to your husband. And it's not polygamous. All the wives submit to your husband. It's wife, submit to your own husband. It's not a, uh, a, a women in culture, in life, live subservient to men. It's wives. It's in a particular context, context among a specific God-given and designed relationship between a husband and wife. So what does it mean and how does it look for a wife to live in submission to her husband? Um, a, uh, one of the pastors at 
Stonegate, our uh, sending church, uh, him and his wife, him and his wife do this podcast, and they were talking about gender roles in the family, and uh, a really helpful comment in a moment that the the wife uh, made in there, and talking about what does it look like or mean uh, for a wife to be in submission to her husband. Um, she described it or defined it as this: it's a disposition of deference. Deference isn't a word we use all that often, <laughs> um, uh, but it's a disposition of deference. Meaning to defer to the husband's leadership as the head of the wife. That the wife should carry herself towards her husband uh, with a disposition of deference to defer. And where does that come from in this letter? Are we just making that up? No. The word submit here, it communicates in the original language this idea of yielding. Like to give way. Like when you pull up to a yield sign on the road, what are you doing? You're hesitating, you're slowing down, and you're giving way to the predominant level of traffic. And so, so it's this idea of yielding, or to give way, or to defer. That in marriage, in your marriage with your spouse, the wife is commanded by God, ordained in creation, and instructed here to have a posture of yielding to the leadership of their husband. And this idea of yielding or giving way of deference communicates a willingness in that submission, not a dominance in that submission to where whatever he says goes across the board, can't say anything, I don't have no voice. That's not what the Bible is communicating here. It's communicating a yielding, a deferring to the headship, the leadership, the shepherding, the nurturing, the cherishing, and the love of the husband. And this doesn't make the wife less valuable or to have less dignity. In many areas of life, we have functional roles where we live in submission to authority. Paul, uh, the New Testament across the board, the Old Testament also, commands us to be submissive to all kinds of authorities. Go read Romans chapter 13. Submission to governing authorities. But you also have examples of civil disobedience. The apostles are arrested for preaching the name of Jesus and healing a blind guy, and they go before the Sanhedrin and they say, stop preaching the name of Jesus. And they say, whether we're supposed to obey God or man is for you to decide, but we're going to keep preaching Christ. So, so far as uh, a husband's leadership of his wife, as the head is leading in the direction of obedience to Christ, of, of submission to God as his authority... And the wife doesn't remain silent with no voice, but refers to his leadership. To his leadership. And this role of submission or deference is not a lesser role. It's a different role. It's a different role. The wife's role in marriage is essential to the health of a marriage. Essential. Think about it in this way. In Genesis 2, verse 18, God created man, all the animals, the whole earth, and everything was good, 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 and good. And then God said it's not good, that man's alone. 
Let's make for him a helper that's fit for him. And the only helper fit for him was woman. Specifically, his wife. As they became one. And we see things begin to unravel when because of sin, Eve or woman wants to be the head and not function in her role as the helper, as the yielding to the leadership of the husband. And the example that Paul gives to uh, women, to wives here in this room, in Ephesus, was Christ in the church. The example that he gives is not someone's Instagram story, but Jesus and his church. Paul's example to instruct wives in how they live, yielding to their husbands, deferring to them, submitting to their leadership as the head of the marriage is the way the church submits to Christ. And, and, and to take this also as instruction for the church. The church doesn't get to just go, you know what, we're going to go off and do our own thing. Jesus might have said, do this, we're going to do something different. Jesus might have said, this is true, but we disagree, so we're going to say something else. No, the church, after husband, the, the, the husband of the church. As he leads, and when we don't know, we willingly, gladly yield and come in prayer before him and ask for him to lead and guide us. And wherever he leads and guides and instructs, we submit as the church. I mean, talking about us. We submit to him in that. You see, submission... Yielding is much easier in a place where there's trusted love. Yielding to someone else's leading, guiding, and direction is a whole lot easier when we know that they are trustworthy and that they love us. It's hard to submit to somebody who you don't know, just generally do not know, or someone whom you question their love for you. Or someone whom you wonder and question if they're going to lead or act in your best interest. It's hard. It is. For the church, us, Christ has proven Himself trustworthy in love. And so we can humbly, willingly, joyfully submit to Him. And in the same way, wives, as much imperfection your husbands like me have, um, it's a lot easier to submit and to give deference and to yield to a husband who has shown and tested his faithful love for you. To work for and to sacrifice willingly for your good. Uh, John Stott, a pastor, uh, wrote it this way. It'll be up on the screen if you want to follow along. Whenever the husband's headship mirrors the headship of Christ, then the wife's submission to the protection and the provision of his love far from detracts from her womanhood, but will positively enrich it. That women, wives, flourish under a husband 
whose headship looks like Christ. And so for us, as we move forward, we're going to move on to that husband. So we've talked about wives, your responsibility, your role, uh, your instruction to submit to your husband, to give way, yield, and deference to his uh, headship and leadership in your marriage. He gives instruction to husbands, and it's this. Husbands, love your wives. He says this in verse 25. We'll walk down through verse 31. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle in any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It's very interesting that Paul's instruction to the wife says he is the head of the church, or head of the wife. The husband is the head of the wife. Uh, But nowhere in here does Paul emphasize the headship of the husband. But the mutual submitting sacrificial love of the husband. Not that it's not true that the husband is the head of the wife, the head of the marriage, the head of uh, of his spouse. But that what it looks like is love. That what it looks like for a husband. is to love your wife. And we talked about earlier, this idea of authority or headship communicates responsibility. It looks like loving responsibility, not dominance or oppression or control. And that throughout husbands, your example is not some movie character. is Jesus. Example of how to be a husband is Jesus. And he walks through this in three specific things we're going to talk about. That the love a father or a husband is supposed to have for his wife is a love that sacrifices. That the love of a husband for his wife should be a love that sacrifices like Christ sacrificed himself. It literally says he gave himself up for her. That the, the role of the husband in marriage in his headship and responsibility is not a position in the marriage to be uh, worked at and for your selfishness or your self-gratification or the desires you want or your comforts, but a role of sacrificial love for your wife. To lay down yourself for her, husbands. Uh, One pastor put it this way, Certainly, headship implies a degree of leadership and initiative. As when Christ came and wooed and, and, and won his bride. 
But more specifically, it implies sacrifice, self-giving for the sake of his beloved. That's when Christ gave himself for his bride. If headship means power, I don't know if we should say it does, but if it does, in any sense it's power to care or cherish, not to crush. That it's a position and a role in your marriage to cherish, to crush, and to sacrificially serve and not to dominate. So husbands, our example of what it looks like to love our wives is to give ourselves up for their good. Sacrifice. What does mutual submission of a husband look like? Willing self-sacrifice for the good of your wife, even when she doesn't deserve it or return the favor. The second way we see this love play out for, for husbands is that the love we're instructed to have for our wives is a love that sanctifies. When he gives this example of Jesus, he says he gave himself so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. A functional role and a play out of the love that a, a husband should have for his wife is a love that sanctifies, that labors, that prays, that sweat and tears are for the spiritual being of his wife. That your provision, that your prayers, that your priorities, that your that your time, that your words, that your sacrifice is for her spiritual nourishment and growth and well-being. Leading as the head of your wife, husbands, looks like spiritual leadership in your marriage. It's essential. It's an essential component of your role as husbands. The wife is not supposed to be the spiritual leader in your marriage. Let me say that again. It might sting. It might put you in a place of like, well, what am I supposed to do, wives? The wife is not supposed to be the spiritual leader of your marriage. The husband is. This means, men, husbands, it's time we tar start taking responsibility for our wives' spiritual flourishing. It's time we start to take responsibility for her spiritual well-being. And I, I know that that may, for some of us, for some of you, be like pretty 180-degree turn in your marriage. But to start simply praying together with your wife might be a like, uh, what are we doing? We never do this moment. Because you have no appetite for that in your marriage because you've not done it. And it's not easy. 
that it's a lot easier to watch the TV show than to care spiritually about your spouse's well-being. It's a lot easier to just check out than to take interest and effort and ask, hey babe, how are you doing? How are you doing? What's the Lord teaching you? What are you struggling with? But that's what Jesus' example looks like. Working, laboring, praying, and giving ourselves for their holiness. And the third thing we see here is the sacrificial love that Jesus is our example as husbands is a love that cherishes. A love that cherishes our wives. It's a love that sacrifices for our wives. It's a love that sanctifies our wives, that works for their spiritual well-being, and it's a love that cherishes our wives. That loves our wives uh, as we would love our own bodies. That's what he says in verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Oftentimes, think about our unity or one flesh union as husbands and wives, the way the Bible talks about it. We get married and we're still like, yeah, I'm me and she's her. The Bible doesn't think like that. The Bible doesn't talk like that. The Bible doesn't talk like, oh yeah, there's my wife and she's her and I'm me. It's like, no, we're one. So for me to care about myself is to care for my wife. To cherish her. That the love of a husband should have a vested interest in your wife's well-being. To nourish, to cherish. To, to, to nourish is to feed. <laughs> like, to feed. To provide what is good for. To care for your wife like you care for yourself. And I mean, there may be a hard pill to swallow. Some of us may not care for ourselves very well either. As a husband, your energy and efforts should be towards caring and cherishing your wife for her protection, for her physical well-being, that she is healthy and flourishing and growing. Do we invest our time, husbands? Do we sacrifice what we want? Do we labor at work towards this end? To love our wives like Christ has loved us. So we move into kind of what, what do we take from this? What do we do from this? Uh, I want to start at this place that none of this happens if we don't live in a posture of submission to Christ. Like if you aren't living or functioning in a place and posture of, I've trusted in Jesus and I'm submitting all of my life to His uh, leadership, to His instruction, then husbands, you won't submit to Jesus' instructions for you. 
to sacrificially love your wife. And wives, you won't live in submission to your husbands like the church does to Christ because you're not living in submission to Jesus. And so it starts with us at our hearts living in a willing submission to Jesus, a willing trust in Him in all of our lives. And we're faced with moments and opportunities to live in willing submission to Jesus every single day. Every moment of temptation is a moment for me to go, am I going to submit to Jesus? Trust that what He says is actually for my most good, that He's at work for and has done all that's necessary for my salvation? Am I going to live in submission to Him, or am I going to rebel against Him and say, no, my way, Jesus, not yours. I'm the head of my life, not you. It starts with a joyful, willing submission to His leadership, His guiding in our lives. That's where it starts. And then wives, the the, the walk-forward moment for you today is this. Uh, where does this command, how does this command for you to live uh, in a posture of deference and submission to your husband's headship rub in your heart? Where does it rub? Where, does it, where is there friction? Where is there resistance to that? And to take the time, maybe today, maybe this week, maybe in your home group, maybe this week in your home group, wives, you get together and you talk through yeah, there's some like real rub against me living in submission to my husband. And, uh, and you talk through why. What's going on in there? And you confess to the Lord. And you confess to one another and you confess to your husband that there is a resistance because of sin to living in your role as the helper yielding to the shepherding leading of your husband. Husbands, do you love your life, wife like Jesus has loved you? Do you live self-sacrificially? Do you live under the reality that you have a responsibility before God to love your wife like Jesus has loved the church? Do you pray for? Do you labor for your wife's spiritual flourishing? I want to encourage you also, don't jump to doing family devotions in that moment. Leading your wife is not doing family devotions. That's leading your family, your kids. We'll get there in a few weeks. This is about you and your wife. And I just want to own and realize, and say this, you probably don't know how if you're not doing it. And that's okay. The best thing you can do is go, I don't know how to do that. I need help. And there are men in this room and that are a part of Trailview that go, I know a little bit. Let's learn together. (laughs) I've learned some things. We've done that well sometimes. We've not done that well sometimes. Let's grow in this together. But to raise your hand and say, I'm not taking spiritual responsibility for my wife's flourishing and I need to learn how. And for maybe you men in home group this week to gather around that question, what would it look like for me this week? What would it look like for me before I go to bed tonight next to my wife to cherish, nourish, and work for her spiritual flourishing? Do you cherish your wife? 
Do you labor for her good, her pleasure, her comfort, her physical well-being? Marriage is hard. It is. And there's seasons that are really hard and there's seasons that are less hard. (laughs) But when we function in marriage the way God designed it to work and function, uh, everyone flourishes. And that step towards that may look like confession and repentance. It may look like going to your wife and saying, hey, I have not loved you like Christ has loved the church in the last year or 20. But I want to figure that out. So will you forgive me? And wife responding in that moment with patience and grace to his confession to say, yes, I love you. And I'm so glad that you want to do that. And wives, in return, honey, I have not lived in submission and desire in me to rule over you. And so I'm sorry. And I want to learn and figure out what it looks like to live with a deference to your leadership in our family, in our marriage. You see, the the passage ends not with this put put on instruction in marriage, but this beautiful picture and instruction about Jesus. It leads to this conclusion that marriage is meant to reflect the, the gospel. That marriage is meant and designed by God to reflect the gospel. That's what verses 32, or 31 through 33 say. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his own flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. What man left his father to hold fast to his church? Jesus, who descended from his throne in heaven, sent by his father to rescue and redeem and take for himself his bride, the church. That marriage is meant to reflect the gospel as a in creation foreshadowing look back on what God has done in the gospel. 